it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So much to cover, so little time, but we'll try to get through it, and I appreciate you being here. Ronna McDaniel with us in a matter of moments as the RNC chairwoman. A lot of pressure on her shoulders to try to deliver the Senate and the House and get the best candidates forward because it's a big primary day, especially in places like Texas, where an attorney general fight is uh, fascinating and the you know, the party holding that position uh, could be at stake. And Henry Cuellar, a moderate, level-headed Democrat under attack from a squad disciple uh, over in Texas. Uh, somebody who actually spoke up and talked about the catastrophe at the border and took the uh, and took the ire of his party. And we'll talk about that, uh, as well as the governor's race. Colonel Alan West will be with us right after. He's drawn to be uh, the Republican nominee and eventually be the governor. We'll talk about that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's no question uh, that in the State of the Union, uh, the American people and anybody watching around the world will hear the president talk about the efforts he has led over the past several months to build a global coalition to fight against the autocracy and the efforts of President Putin to invade a foreign country. That is uh, Jen Psaki. All eyes on the State of the Union tonight. How will the president address the war, the inflation, a pandemic that smells more political and less medical by the day as miraculously... Uh, in more, I guess you would say, hygiene theater, suddenly no one's got to wear masks. Will he address the country or just his party? The world will be watching. Number two. A molecule of oil uh, coming from America is going to be a cleaner molecule of oil than if it's coming from Russia. And at the same time, we're going to supply ourselves and our friends with American oil if we're we're allowed to do that. That just makes for better national security. And again, um, a lower price at the pump. Nothing is disputed about what he just said. But why did Democrats ignore it? That is Governor of Texas, Mike Dunleavy. All about energy. If we do drill more oil and ship more natural gas, Europe can get off the Russian crack pipe for good and finally sanction Russia where it really hurts and stop buying their products. Number one. Why do you need all of this? You Russian moms, you Russian teachers, Russian entrepreneurs. Just regular people. Why do you need this? Don't believe your commanders, your propaganda people. Just save your lives and leave. That is Vladimir Zelensky. He is president of Ukraine. Telling the Russians, get out. The war, the two biggest cities in Ukraine, struggle to hold off a Russian assault, amped up to a higher level because of initial frustrations and a, and a bad game one game plan. Now it's in game two. And I sense it's going to get really, really ugly. And that's why I bring in Ronna McDaniel. Ronna, it's impossible to watch tonight and look at, think about politics and not think about the Ukrainians, right? It's impossible. I think everyone, this is the one issue that we're bipartisan on right now. Is yep. We're all praying for the Ukrainian people. We all are so impressed with President Zelensky. And it's scary to watch Russia bring their might and fury towards them. It looks uh, really frightening to see the images coming forward. But we are united in our support for Ukraine. Uh, no question. And would you say the president's leading? He will say tonight that he has brought the world together uh, against Russia. Has he? 
I don't think so. I think actually Germany stepped up before President Biden did. And, you know, you don't want to be critical of a president during these times, but we do have to look at the facts. I mean, Zelensky asked for sanctions earlier when we had intelligence that Russia was about to invade. They didn't. Uh, Biden allowed Nord Stream 2 to go forward, which looked like a strategic error. He shut down our oil production while he let Russia continue to ramp up theirs. We know that the price of oil is funding this war. When it goes to $100 a barrel, that's good for Russia. It allows them to keep uh, this war going. And Biden continues to refuse to ramp up oil production in this country. I think that's a strategic error. Right now, we are Russia's number one oil and gas customer. We have uh, hit yep. all-time highs. Do you think the American people would be prepared to absorb an increase in gas and oil uh, for uh, if it meant in the short term, if it meant getting off Russia and inflicting pain on them while they inflict pain on Ukraine? I do. I think the American people are watching uh, fathers being ripped away from their children as they are going to fight for their country. And I think the American people want to do things to help the Ukrainian people. I think the Biden administration should let the Keystone Pipeline open. They should resume drilling on federal lands. And we have the capacity and the ability to be energy independent. The only reason we are not is because of executive orders put in place by Joe Biden, day one of his presidency. He's refusing to move off of that. The difference between oil, uh, Russia producing this oil and the U.S. In, in terms of the climate is none. You're, you're affecting the climate either way, so why not allow it to be done by a democracy-loving, freedom-loving country that will protect Ukraine rather than funding Putin, who we know is on a, a terrible, horrible mission to destroy the country and the people and the lives of Ukraine. Here's Jen Psaki previewing what we're going to hear tonight. Cut 26. I think there's no question uh, that in the State of the Union, uh, the American people and anybody watching around the world will hear the president talk about the efforts he has led over the past several months to build a global coalition to fight up against fight against the autocracy and the efforts of President Putin to invade a foreign country. But what people will also hear from President Biden is his optimism and his belief in the resilience uh, of the American people and the strength of the American people. What about that message? He's going to build up, uh, bring up Bill Back Better. He's going to talk about how he's doing everything possible uh, to tackle inflation. But we're still printing a ton of money, and he will not uh, allow us to drill our way out of this. He won't. And I would just ask everybody, I did it this morning, go read what Biden said in his inaugural address. Look at the promises he made of bipartisanship and unity and bringing America together. We are a more divided country than ever. And Joe Biden has failed on those promises as he called parents domestic terrorists for wanting to have a say in their kids' classroom who were worried about what the pandemic was doing uh, to their children, as he called Americans racist who didn't agree with his voting legislation that would have stripped voter ID laws in 36 states. This has not been a president who's been unifying, and he refuses to visit the southern border, which we know is in crisis. We know we have 100,000 people who died last year of drug overdoses. We know our law enforcement is under siege, and we have crime rising in this country. And we have a president who, when you ask him about these real issues, says, oh, that's not real, and refuses to be empathetic to the true concerns of the American people. And he continues to turn a deaf ear to that. And I, and I think that's the problem that he has to address. I don't think he will tonight. If he does, good for him. I think the American people really are looking for a leader to, to console them during these very 
difficult times as an American as an American people. I, I know it's not tradition for the RNC chair to weigh in on primaries or their own party, but people are really looking to what's happening at the attorney general race mm-hmm. in uh, uh, in Texas, especially. In Texas. Yeah, yeah, we have an attorney general being investigated by the FBI and a high profile candidate who is land um, who was land management, uh, who was the head of land management in Texas, George P. Bush, uh, looking there. And then you have somebody running for uh, governor in Colonel Allen West taking on a sitting Republican governor. So where do you stand first off on attorney general? You know, we, we do have to stay neutral. It's it's not a choice. It's actually part of our bylaws as a party. So uh, I think it allows us to bring everybody together after the the dust of a negative primary goes away. Right now, it looks like that could go to a runoff in Texas. You have to get above 50% to win the nomination outright. The polling today shows that Abbott will do so in the gubernatorial race, and and uh, potentially Paxton and, and George P. Bush will be going to a runoff. I'm always on the side of the voters. I think the voters get it right a lot. I don't think they need Washington politicians coming in and putting the thumb on the scale. I actually think they don't like that. Um, so I trust the people of Texas to get it right, and then we're going to be in there making sure we elect a Republican and not a Democrat. Understood. When uh, they did a straw poll at the end of CPAC, and Donald Trump, the overwhelming favorite to run for president, uh, I think with over 40 percent of the straws, and 24 percent was the Governor DeSantis. How would you gauge the strength of President Trump right now? I think President Trump's going to be a huge um, asset to us on the on the primary, I, uh, on the 2022 election. We need him out. We need him campaigning. He has a huge war chest. Let's start there. And then he brings people to rallies, and he can help turn them out to vote. You know, people don't realize in the Yunkin race, he actually did robocalls into hundreds of thousands of voters and on live dial calls to turn them out in, in rural Virginia. And we need to deploy him to do the same thing to help us win in the midterms. In my mind, the presidential is eons away. If we don't win the midterms, the presidential won't matter because the Democrats will change voting laws. So we have to take back the House and the Senate. And I think President Trump's ready to do that. And he gave a great speech at CPAC this weekend. So when you look at seats that are obtainable, people are thinking Vermont is in play. Does Ronna McDaniel think that? (laughs) Well, I met with the candidate, uh, the, the woman who's running in Vermont. I mean, she's a strong candidate. Here's what I think. I'm flying to Connecticut tomorrow, um, Brian, to open an African-American outreach center. I mean, I'm, I, I think this is a campaign for America, and we need to be in every state and be ready to pounce because this could be that type of an election. Of course, we have to hold Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Ohio, Missouri, and Wisconsin. we've got to pick up a Senate seat in Georgia, and we've got to pick up those five um, uh, House seats to take back the House from Nancy Pelosi. But I, I don't want to leave any opportunity on the table in a year where Biden's approval is at 37 percent. If success leaves clues, what did Governor Yunkin show a, uh, an astute politician? Uh, two things, and I say this to every candidate. One, keep it local. Talk about the issues that resonate with the voters in your state. Run a state-specific or district-specific campaign. And two, be uh, be emotive. C- connect with the voters. Talk to them directly. Don't let some fancy politician put a crazy ad on that has nothing to do with you and who you are and why you resonate. And Glenn Youngkin did both of those things, and he talked about the issues that mattered to the voters, and that propelled him to victory. The other thing I, I wanted to do as I leave, 
there, the governor of Iowa is going to give the rebuttal speech tonight, and and that'll be something. Member Tim Scott showed everyone you can make a difference in that rebuttal speech. But I'm also struck by the fact that Rashida Tlaib is going to give the rebuttal to the rebuttal to the rebuttal. She's a Democrat yeah. after a president speak, and she's going to come out reportedly and rip Joe Manchin and Republicans for not going after Build Back Better. I mean, that is nuts. I, I, she is she is far from unifying. She's from my state of Michigan, Rashida Tlaib is. Uh, she, you know, has a. I think she has a map in her office that doesn't have Israel on it. That's how that's how anti-Israel she is. Um, but, you know, she's a divisive character, and it shows where the progressive wing is in the Biden administration. They have a lot of power under Biden, which is what has prevented him from governing from the middle. Uh, on Kim Reynolds, she's a good friend of mine, and I think there's a great contrast between what Republican governors did to stave off the virus, to follow the science, keep their economies open keep their schools open, and Republican governors really have led the way through this pandemic and have been a stark contrast to the failing uh, governance of Democrats across the country. Do you think that's part of the reason why suddenly the masks are coming off, the mandates are being released (laughs) in these blue states? Is this about polling or science? Brian, you know this. It's about polling. I mean, suddenly the science coincided with the State of the Union, and now Congress doesn't have to wear masks magically on February or on March 1st. I mean, it's just crazy. So, uh, you know, we've seen this consistently, and this is why the American people have lost a lot of faith in the government. Their messaging was muddled. Months ago, it was if you get the vaccine, you don't have to wear the mask. Every single day, it's been changing and muddled. And uh, uh, still a refusal to acknowledge the real harm that's been done to kids across the country who were kept out of the classroom as Democrats continue to to take cues from the unions instead of from the parents. uh, Tap the parents. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is the person who's going to be giving the rebuttal. But I thought this was interesting. Josh Gottlieb, a so-called moderate Democrat, said about the fact that she's going to speak, it's like keying your own car and slashing your own tires. <laughs> I thought that was, it's absolutely true. That's oh, you can good. Say it's, it's, I mean, that's about as good as you could say it. Yeah. Kudos to him. Well, it really is. Uh, a guy you know quite well, your uncle, um, Senator Mitt yeah. Romney, had this to say about when asked, how you were right, but yet mocked when you were running for president when it came to Russia, when Barack Obama famously retorted, when he said Russia is our number one geopolitical foe, Barack Obama famously retorted, the 1980s called and wants, your foreign po- wants their foreign policy back. Here's what he said about being right. I don't need to tell you that you were mocked for saying that. Thoughts now? Well, first of all, uh, politics is a uh, extraordinarily interesting game, uh, as you know. President Obama didn't quote what I actually said. What I said was uh, Russia was a geopolitical foe. I didn't say they were a threat. Uh, And a geopolitical foe, they obviously were and continue to be because Russia continues to fight us in every venue they have. He did nail it back then. And to his credit, he's, he's not causing more attention to it. But it is obvious he was right. He was totally right. And the media mock him because he was a Republican. And we've seen this over and over again, where the media dismisses anything that a Republican says, no matter how credible. And it's and it's a problem because the media should be a check for both parties. And they should be able to look at what Biden's doing with our energy policy and say the fact that we are not starting to drill more in the United States of America is giving an edge to Russia in this war and allowing them to fund what they are doing to Ukraine right now. That shouldn't be Republican or Democrat. It should just be straight across the line. And we do not have a media that does that any longer, unfortunately. Uh, All right, Ronna. Thanks so much. It's going to be a busy 
three years for you, but first off, you're going to get through these primaries today. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk to you. Always. Uh, Rhonda McDaniel, when we come back, your calls. I know you have a lot to say. We're all following developing news. And about one hour ago, we found out that Kharkiv has been totally surrounded on they're expecting a huge onslaught. I wish I was exaggerating. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And the effect of that may well be, I think, to, to get those European countries to say, wait a minute, we've got to wean ourselves off uh, Russian energy supplies. And that means they've got to get them from somewhere. And the one place that they could get more from would be the United States, which has some shackles on its energy production imposed for environmental reasons. Uh, by the Biden administration. And I think that uh, the pressure on President Biden to take the shackles off uh, U.S. energy production uh, and to allow the natural gas and oil that we're able to produce to come forward in greater quantity, such that we could resupply Europe, which will need uh, need gas. We can liquefy it and send it over the pond to, to Europe to help those countries uh, get away from their dependence on Russian oil. And that might have a larger strategic consequence in the long run than anything else we could do. Really, uh, that would be fantastic. I was fascinated to find out and horrified that we become Russia's number one customer in the world. So let's stop it. Canada stopped it. Europe is beginning to move away from it. They killed Nord Stream 2. They should be killing Nord Stream 1, which is, I understand that it, that is natural gas. So we should just get off it right now. And that's what the president could say. And, you know, guys, it's going to be hard. I'm going to uh, uh, expand these leases in these areas. It's going to increase production. I'm going to finish off that pipeline, which is between 850 million barrels a day which will more than supplant what Russia gives us. And I think in the short term, you might be paying an extra dollar or two and find some way to back that up for working class people. Man, you write checks nonstop, print money nonstop. There's a way. At the same time, people want to help the Ukraine. That could be our little thing. Uh, you know, very small. We're going to tell Russia, we're going to sanction your banks. We're going to get you off the SWIFT system. We're going to sanction the banks that actually finance energy. Shell bought, uh, said no more deals with Russia. BP, no more deals with Russia. Why can't America say no more deals with Russia? Once again, we're leading from behind. Canada beat us to it. Again, we're being led from behind. It was Zelensky that got the world embarrassed enough to finally do something. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. He wants to be the next governor of Texas, but he doesn't win the primary. He can't do it. How's he doing? It's voting day in Texas. West next. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The mission for the United States-led NATO alliance is really clear. It's provide Ukraine with, with lethal and humanitarian assistance and avoid uh, a war, a direct war, with Russia. That's it. And that's going to require some diplomacy and some very direct talk from President Biden tomorrow night. Uh, that is Dan Hoffman, who really knows. Uh, he's been in, uh, stationed in places like Iraq and a place like Moscow. And... The Vladimir Putin that he was studying is a different guy now to a degree. 
Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now, no stranger to war or being stationed over in Europe, and understands how unique it is to see Europe on the same page and NATO so seemingly so strong, uh, who has a big, big primary today to see if he can get the Republican nomination in Texas to be the next governor and take on what looks to be Beto O'Rourke. Uh, Colonel, great to hear from you. It's good to be with you, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. So before we talk about your campaign, if I was yeah. to put you in Europe right now and you saw, and I'm going to play some of this in a little while, but you saw Zelensky personally plead to Europe, fill out an application yesterday to be a member of the EU, address the EU parliament 90 minutes ago in fatigue saying, I'm going to fight. I'm one of you guys. Bring me in and get a standing ovation. What are your thoughts? Well, you have to applaud uh, President Zelensky because he is leading from the front and he is there with and inspiring his country. And I think that what we saw happen in Afghanistan, we had a president there that fled the country. That's not going to happen in Ukraine. And that's why you see the stiff resistance that uh, the Russian troops are facing. And that's why you see the frustration on Vladimir Putin's uh, face as well. And really and truthfully, Zelensky is rallying Europe for them to understand that there are still threats in this world. There are still evil people in the world. And as Sir Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And so now, all of a sudden, they're they're willing to stand up and fight. Even, I think, in Switzerland, has uh, come off the neutrality uh, box, and, and they're getting engaged and getting involved because they see that threat. But the most important thing that Joe Biden, our president, can do right now is say tonight – that we're going to start producing, consuming, and exporting our oil and natural gas resources uh, to them over in Eastern Europe and to Europe, period. Uh, we're not going to be buying any more Russian oil. That's the type of message that he has to send and make sure that we have that open pipeline of resources and support to include lethal uh, weaponry uh, to go up against Vladimir Putin. Would you uh, open up a no-fly zone knowing the danger would be a potential clash with Russia? I would probably not open up the no-fly zone because then you, you are going head-to-head with Russia if you get up there and have a, uh, a confrontation between an American pilot and a Russian pilot. But I'd do everything possible to uh, supply and arm and enable the Ukrainian uh, Air Force and their pilots. I mean, you've got one of their pilots over there. I think he is up to now six or seven aircraft that he shot down. And so they have the will to fight. They just want the means to, and the resources to do it. I want you to hear with Vladimir Zelensky, uh, a lot of people just getting up now, and we're talking to Colonel Alan West, who's in a big primary today. If you're a Republican, uh, go out and support this guy. He's been a fantastic American his entire life. Here is uh, Zelensky speaking from somewhere we believe in Kiev, in Kiev, cut three. But we are fighting also to be equal members of Europe, the European Union is going to be much stronger with us, that's for sure. We have proven our strength. We have proven that, as at a minimum, we are exactly the, the same as you are. And at the end of this address, he got a standing ovation. Pretty dramatic stuff. Yeah, it is pretty dramatic. And think about this, Brian. You know, there's always that question, are leaders born or are leaders made? And here's a guy about, what, three, four years ago, he's a comedian. And now he's standing up there on an international stage against uh, one of the most uh, evil people, the uh, rulers that we have in the in the world right now. That's Vladimir Putin. And so I think that this circumstance has not just made Zelensky; it has made uh, Ukraine. And a lot of people have said it's, it's a failing country, it's corrupt, and whatever. But now we're seeing their resolve. And I think that without a doubt, they have earned 
their uh, membership to the European Union. They have earned their membership into NATO because they have stood up and done something that, you know, Germany and many other countries may not have done themselves. Right. I just am pretty amazed to see him stand up, but also see him surrounded. Kiev is surrounded. It looks like they dropped a thermobaric bomb yesterday to see this mm-hmm. explosion, that's what the that's what the Daily Mirror is reporting. And when you see this explosion, it looks extraordinary. And then we saw the mayor of Kharkov, uh, Kharkiv, I should say, the second biggest city. They say we're still here, but we are thoroughly surrounded, and it's shelling we have not seen before. Colonel, when we wake up every day, the horror could be greater because they don't care about human cost. I was staggered to see mm-hmm. that they've killed. Uh, they've killed 5,000 civilians in two years in Syria, and they say a third were children. Where's the? There's no Russian investigation. There's no Hague court trial going on. So there is no hell to pay for Russia. So what are they thinking at this hour? I mean, the, what about the men and women actually drafted who have to do this? They know it's going to be carnage on people they used to call their cousins, neighbors. They might even be related to them. Yeah, I think it eventually the psychological effect will come upon those soldiers uh, as they see no real meaning or purpose in what they're doing other than to feed the ego of someone. But I also want to, to remember that in our own American history, it was December of 1944 when the 101st Airborne Division was surrounded at a place called Bastogne, and the German uh, commander asked them to surrender. He sent back a one-word response, and that word was nuts. And so I, I see that resolve in the people there in Ukraine, even though these cities are surrounded. They're going to fight, and it's going to be a very costly endeavor for Vladimir Putin and for Russia because they're going to break down into small units, into small uh, groups of resistance. They're going to use those anti-tank weapons, and uh, I think there is going to come a point where Russia is going to say, you know, and the troops on the ground are going to say, you know, this is, this is no longer tolerable. And the people of Russia, I think, will rise up as well. It'll be an extraordinary thing, reminiscent of 1991, 1989. Uh, Colonel West, about your run for the governorship, how do you feel about it today? Well, I tell you what, Brian, uh, we got back in uh, 2 o'clock in the morning from Beaumont, Texas. So, you know, what they say is you got to leave it on the field and you got to play hard all the way until there's zeros on the scoreboard. And I think we've done that. We've gone all across Texas a couple of times over and we've made our case. And I think that the people have responded to that. And I believe that without a doubt, we'll we'll, we'll be in the, the top two and there'll probably be a runoff uh, coming up and that'll be in May uh, 24th. So we we feel good about where we are in the position we're in. And, and what a blessing it is for a kid that was born in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, in a blacks-only hospital six decades ago to be running to be the governor of the great state of Texas. That's what makes America special, Brian. Absolutely. And uh, no one ever saw you do do anything halfway. Uh, so best of luck, Congressman. I, I hope to talk to you after a victory. Absolutely. God bless. God be with you. All right. You got it. one 408 When we come back, I'll open up the phones. But just a couple of things to that I think are important. The one of these translators into German from Zelensky, as he, as he addressed from, I don't know, somewhere in the, I imagine, in the capital of Ukraine, was so overcome translating his words into German, she started crying. I mean, that's how emotional this all is and how real it is. It was Zelensky that got the Germans to give lethal weapons. It was Zelensky that got the Europeans to say, we are not waiting for the Americans to make a decision. 
we're getting off the SWIFT bank. We're going to sanction and kick Russia off the SWIFT banking system. Now we've got to go the rest of the way and fill in, and fill in the loopholes that allows them to still trade other stocks. It was them that is forcing the ruble to be 20 cents on the dollar. It's worth, I think, one and a half cents on the dollar right now. It's causing uh, European Union to go from uh, to force Russia to go from 9% interest rates, which is extraordinarily high, to 20% interest rates. When the Russians get up today, they have a third of the money that they had when they went to bed. All because this lunatic, Vladimir Putin, decides he wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union and his next step was taking over Ukraine and 40 million people are giving him, giving him the middle finger. I just don't know how much longer they can hold out. Real quick, here's what Jennifer Griffin says about the convoy that's heading to Kiev right now from Belarus, where they were stationed. By the way, we're getting reports Belarus is now fighting with the Russians. Sinful. Cut five. The Russians have not been able to establish air superiority, which is significant. Our team in Kyiv saw an outgoing Ukrainian air defense missile fired earlier today. U.S. defense officials tell us Ukraine still has warplanes that are operational. Now, then there are those Russian military forces like this 3.5-mile-long convoy snaking toward the capital. It, it has been stymied so, so far and only moved for three miles overnight due to fuel shortages, we're told, from a senior defense official. They have been slowed from taking any cities like Kharkiv, where columns of military vehicles have been successfully targeted by those shoulder-fired anti-tank javelin and in-law missiles that the U.S. and NATO have provided the Ukrainian military. The Kremlin says anyone providing weapons to the Ukrainians will be held accountable. Good luck with that. Uh, they are all providing weapons to the Ukrainians. The question is how quick can they get them there? Word is they only have another week with sting, enough Stinger missiles and, uh, and Javelin missiles that take out tanks. One takes out planes. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 866 I just got this email in from Armand. He has good point. I... I, ne- I never should stop bringing this up. Uh, in 1994, the U.S. and U.K. and Russia said to the Ukraine, give up your nukes and we will guarantee your security. That was called the Budapest Memorandum. Armand, you're right. And guess what? We didn't. Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think that we can provide even stronger sanctions, like secondary sanctions on banks and financial institutions. And we need to consider stopping the flow of energy from Russia to the United States and enlist our allies in the same cause. That is a Democrat, all right? That is the Democrats saying we should consider stopping the flow of Russian oil to America. No kidding. And we should stop negotiating with the Russians to get them to help us with the Iranian deal, which nobody wants, which even Democrats, key Democrats, never signed off on the first bad deal. This is going to be even a worse deal. That was Senator Richard Blumenthal. So for him to say he's considering, that means he's gnashing his teeth saying, why have we done it yet? Then Mark Thiessen sent me this so, uh, this study from Forbes that we this year are Russia's number one oil customer. I had no idea we were buying this much from Russia. When we have Canada and Mexico there, we can do our own. We don't need it. You know, Saudi Arabia, with all its problems, 
They've been dependable to us. So why would we do that? Why would, I, why would I be able to sleep at night knowing that when gas goes over $100, Russia gets more and more billions in? Now, as this unrest happens and the oil market's affected, the, barrel, the, the dollar per barrel goes up. And I believe it's right now about at 100 The market is uh, down a little bit, not as much as it was on Monday when we opened up. The ruble's being punished. It's turning to rubble, pun intended. So we see all this happening. Why would we leave any stone unturned? Why would we not sanction the banks that have energy stocks? If you've got to give the American people the benefit of the doubt that they understand, yeah, there's people that are going to say, I don't, I'm never going to the Ukraine. Why am I fighting for them? They don't have a pure democracy. They're 6,000 miles away. You should fight for them. Because you understand that if Russia goes and takes the Ukraine, a country of 40 million, it's goodbye Estonia, goodbye Lithuania, goodbye Latvia. Well, we're going to challenge you, Poland, with these other assets. Now, what you need is just a compliant leader and a military. Then your your population is tamed because usually they're disarmed. And you don't believe me on a lesser note, look at Australia. I mean, they were absolutely oppressed during the pandemic. They did nothing wrong except for go outside without a mask or go to work or go to Starbucks. And they were getting arrested. Can you imagine a, a place like China when if you're the wrong religion, you go to a concentration camp? You want Russia's values throughout Eastern Europe again? I mean, are you that young, that suffering from that much short-term memory loss to not understand the Cold War and the ramifications? You're just going to let it slowly happen again? It's not FDR died and uh, Winston Churchill lost an election. Stalin was the only one there. And when it came to the uh, the Yalta Agreement, the Iron Curtain essentially comes down, words of Winston Churchill, and nobody was there to say, well, this was the deal that Truman and Winston Churchill cut. He had to go on their word. We're going to go do that again? Europe is waking up. Could we at least wake up, possibly? So Governor Mike Dunleavy says, listen, I'm a Republican. No bitterness. Let me drill. Cut 20. A molecule of oil uh, coming from America is going to be a cleaner molecule of oil than if it's coming from Russia. And at the same time, we're going to supply ourselves and our friends uh, with with American oil if we're we're allowed to do that. That just makes for better national security. And again, um, a lower price at the pump. True. So you're not impressed that a Republican governor in an oil state wants to drill? What about a Democratic senator from a coal state, cut 19, Joe Manchin. A lot of Americans don't realize we're buying over 600,000 barrels a day of crude from Russia. We've been doing this for quite some time. And I just think that basically for us to set the example and ask the rest of the world to step up to the plate, we have to step up to the plate. That means basically reversing some of the decisions that have been made, but no leasing, not drilling, and basically cutting back. We need energy independence more now than ever before. That's a Democrat who will vote for every judicial nominee and probably with Joe Biden 80% of the time. But he's saying national security matters most. That's a guy or woman who had those philosophies who would go across party lines and say, this is what's good for my country. Let's the chips will fall where they may. For some reason, at 78 years old, going on 90, Joe Biden is so worried about what his left flank thinks or what Ron Klain, his chief of staff, wants, he won't do what he knows is right. Crack down on crime, start drilling for national security reasons, do everything short of full-out uh, war with Russia in supporting the Ukraine. So much is lining up because of the strength 
of Europe. They show leadership. Zelensky made that happen. Canada stopped first. Canada is leading us. So just right now, I'm just getting the blow-by-blow on what's happening. Uh, That thermobaric bomb has been all but confirmed. That basically vaporizes people. Next, they're starting to shell indiscriminately into Kharkiv apartment buildings. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you were attacked by people at an apartment building? Let me see. I have it here one someplace. How about never? They don't care about the Geneva Conventions. Here's what and I'm just I'm just warning you that people who and I'm not, you know, you're entitled to your opinion and and there's a lot of smart people who think who cares about NATO? Who cares about the European Union? Who cares about Russia? That's not our problem. I'm never going to subscribe to that. I have too much a sense of, of global history. But here's Dan Hoffman of what we can expect next. Cut six. The mission for the United States-led NATO alliance is really clear. It's provide Ukraine with, with lethal and humanitarian assistance and avoid uh, a war, a direct war, with Russia. That's it. And that's going to require some diplomacy and some very direct talk from President Biden tomorrow night. And we need extreme financial sanctions. And even though China says, I'll, I'll backstop you, Russia... They can't possibly take 600 million extra bottles of, excuse me, barrels of oil that are heading across the other ocean and then just send it to China. I don't know. They're dealing with some inflation. They got some economic problems. They got some unemployment issues. They really got to, they have to support two countries now. Is it worth it? A country you historically hate? Hey, go to download on Fox Nation, who is Vladimir Putin? It's a great special. You will love it. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, everybody, and thanks for our new affiliates for joining us this week. Uh, it's been an exciting week. It's exciting in a, a very scary way in the Ukraine and exciting because I will hopefully see the, uh, the end of a brutal dictator in Vladimir Putin and a big, uh, a big um, uh, terror on the world. Michael Waltz is with us in a matter of moments. Congressman Kevin Brady is going to be with us. I think he's so important, too, when it comes to sanctions. Former chairman of Ways and Means. He's going to be retiring out of Texas. Big primary day there. And they will do a simulcast with Varney and Company, the number one show in business television. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's no question uh, that in the State of the Union, uh, the American people and anybody watching around the world will hear the president talk about the efforts he has led over the past several months to build a global coalition to fight against the autocracy and the efforts of President Putin to invade a foreign country. Uh, that is uh, Jen Psaki uh, talking about the State of the Union. All eyes are on tonight's State of the Union around the world and in this country. How will the president address the war? Uh, how about the uh, inflation? How about the economy? And how about the pandemic? Miraculously, we don't have to wear masks anymore and vaccine mandates are so passe. This is pure and has been pure, pure hygiene theater. Number two. A molecule of oil. Uh, coming from America is going to be a cleaner molecule of oil than if it's coming from Russia. And at the same time, we're going to supply ourselves and our friends with American oil if we're, left, if we're allowed to do that. 
that just makes for better national security. And again, um, a lower price at the pump. All about energy. If we do drill oil and ship more natural gas, Europe can get off the crack pipe of Russia for good and finally sanction Russia where it really hurts and stop buying their products. Number one. Why do you need all of this? You Russian moms, you Russian teachers, Russian entrepreneurs, just regular people. Why do you need this? Don't believe your commanders, your propaganda people. Just save your lives and leave. President Zelensky uh, talking to the Russian people. The war, the two biggest cities in Ukraine, uh, struggled to hold off a Russian assault, amped up to a level we have not seen yet. Will we be able to resupply Ukraine if we don't know the skies? I'm talking about weapons and I'm talking about staples of life. Uh, with me right now, a man no stranger to war. Uh, he fought it. And he also knows the diplomatic end. Congressman Michael Waltz uh, with the House Armed Services Committee, our Republican, joins us now. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, Brian. And, of course, our affiliate WOKV, you're no stranger there. We're over in the Jacksonville area, lucky enough to be carried. Uh, first off, I'm seeing some disturbing things coming out of Kharkiv, where it looks like the mayor have said they're totally encircled. And I'm seeing some yep. video that looks like a thermobaric bomb, but you're the expert. What are you hearing? Well, this is part of Soviet-Russian doctrine, and uh, you know, to to when a decapitation strike, when a lightning uh, effort to decapitate the government and put your own puppet government in place doesn't work, then they move to scorched earth, bombing civilians, shelling cities, and using these thermobaric weapons, which are the most brutal form of weapon, just short of a tactical nuclear weapon. It actually will the, the the pressure will knock the air out of your lungs and when you take that next breath it will be filled with aerosols chemicals that are flammable and it will literally burn you from inside out uh, it's intended to inflict mass casualties the russians used it in chechnya when their strategy there got bogged down and i i truly brian i fear that this is about to go from bad to worse, uh, and it will be much more tragic before it gets better. I mean, what could stop it? I mean, who? obviously, they're, they're bombing. We just saw the mayor come out and say they're, they're aiming at apartment buildings. When's the last time an apartment building is the, the place of a military headquarter? Well, look, this is exactly what the Russians did in Syria, where they were launching missiles into hospitals. Uh, this is what they did in Chechnya in the 90s uh, when they literally leveled Grozny and turned it into rubble. Uh, and, we, of course, we know the atrocities uh, in Afghanistan in the 1980s where they had landmines shaped to look like toys so that children would pick them up uh, and they could attack families that way. Again, uh, this is you know, with Putin backed against a wall. He cannot afford for his own grip on power to lose, uh, and he is going to double and triple down even if it means war crimes, leveling cities, uh, and his attempt to break the will of the Ukrainian people. Well, right now we see that, you know, we see this huge caravan. They say it's 40 miles long, full of artillery uh, and supplies, and it's making its way towards uh, uh, Kiev. So right now it's making its way there. But we also understand, according to the British Defense Ministry, they've made very little progress in the last 24 hours logistically. What could be the issue I mean, obviously, if you know where they're coming and the road they're on, do we do the Ukrainians have enough to stop it or hinder it? Well, the, you know, the, there's an age-old military axiom of logistics wins or loses wars, uh, and, and it's hard to explain. But I just cannot overstate how difficult it will be for Putin to feed, to clothe, to supply, uh, to provide the spare parts, to provide the fuel. 
uh, for a 200,000-man mechanized army spread over the geography that it's spread out. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm convinced in the briefings I've received, a big part of the struggle that you're seeing uh, uh, with, with the Russian army right now. It's the logistics. And if we would just get uh, the the arms and ammunition, the anti-aircraft missiles, the anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian resistance fast enough should have already been there months ago, as you've covered. But if we could get it there fast enough and they can go after those logistics lines and those supply lines, they can cut off the Russian army as it gets bogged down in these cities. And that's where they'll have a fighting chance. It looks like Poland is getting some of those MiGs to the Ukrainian pilots and they got to be able to fly out of there soon. If they get 29, does that help a lot? You know, we're seeing mixed messages, actually, Brian. On the, on the one hand, uh, Slovakia and, and some of the other Eastern Europe countries that have old Russian fighters that the Ukrainians also fly are saying they're going to provide them. But I've also uh, seen some public statements that they're not going to. Uh, but, yeah, that would be a huge help. I mean, one of the big stories here is that the Russians have not uh, established air superiority. They haven't taken out Ukraine's airfields. Uh, my theory, I'll get some briefings on this this week, is that actually the Russians did not have enough of their precision-guided munitions. They didn't replenish all of the ones that they used in Syria. Uh, the other big story is that they haven't taken down the, the commercial Internet. Uh, that's allowed Zelensky to rally his people, to rally world support, to talk to the European Union. And it's allowing even you're seeing local commanders using Facebook and other forms of social media to coordinate a resistance. That the fact that you know either we overestimated the Russian cyber ca- capability or we underestimated the Ukrainian cyber capability, we've been in there helping them. But it's been very surprising that the commercial Internet hasn't been taken down. I mean, we know $350 million worth of aid. We know about the $6 billion they're going to ask Congress, you guys, to pass. Yep. But we don't know how it's getting there, how long it's going to take. I understand, too, That's the right. Stinger missiles might not last another week. We might not have enough to them. It's unbelievable uh, that yeah. and, uh, you know, that those as, as well as uh, the other, uh, the, the, the anti-tank weapons. So, Brian, we were we were briefed. We Congress has been pounding and pressing on the administration to provide those stingers back in November and December as a deterrent measure. Uh, and we were briefed that uh, the types of stingers the U.S. has uh, weren't the type that we could export to the Ukrainians. That's why you saw uh, other countries like Lithuania and Poland sending their versions. Now, suddenly, eight weeks later, we can send them ours. That's one of the things I want to get to the bottom of, one of the things I want answers on. But Secretary Austin briefed us last night uh, that those arms and munitions, including stingers, are moving into Ukraine right now as we speak. Uh, and believe me, we are pressing and pushing to get those uh, and javelins. To get the body armor, everything, and javelins, which, by the way, wouldn't be there if it weren't for President Trump at all. Uh, to get them in the hands of the Ukrainians as fast as possible. But here's the thing. We used to be able to fly it in. Now it's contested airspace. It has to move by ground uh, through Poland and through Romania. That's going to take longer, and I just hope it gets to them fast enough. Will it be Ukrainian trucks? And if it's a Polish truck and it gets blown up, is Article 5, does that demand that we respond? Well, that's that's one of the ways NATO can get drawn into this. Uh, my understanding is it's being transferred onto Ukrainian trucks at the border, uh, and those are then Ukrainian okay. uh, convoys internally. But Putin could say, hey, you're now a party to this war. Uh, they could say that to Poland and Romania. They could also say it to Turkey, Brian, 
who's made, I think, a bold and correct decision to stop Russian warships from passing into the Black Sea through the Bosphorus and through the Dardanelles. Uh, My understanding is there's four Russian warships that are waiting to pass from the Mediterranean into the Black Sea. If Turkey holds firm, Putin could also say, Turkey, you're now a party to this and force the uh, warships through. So there's a number of tripwires where NATO could be drawn into this and therefore the United States. Right. They have that uh, that agreement that would say uh, they could limit the transportation of uh, with Ukraine uh, in the Black Sea. And we don't know if they're going to hold to that. I have do have something right. to, to relate to our audience. Hungary was just announced they will not allow lethal weapons for Ukraine to transit its territory. Belarus has uh, says it's uh, confirmed that they are now using their military. They will join the Russian forces against Ukraine. What does that say to you? Well, Belarus has completely become a puppet state of Putin and Russia. That's exactly what he wanted to Putin wanted to put in place in Ukraine. Uh, And so the the exact same sanctions that are going in on the on Russian financial sectors now need to go in in Belarus. They are a party to this conflict. They're a party to this invasion. Uh, Hungary, it doesn't surprise me, frankly. Uh, You know, they're landlocked. I'm not making excuses, but this is the dynamic. And they are wholly completely dependent on Russian gas uh, uh, for, for their energy needs. So for them to take a more neutral approach right. I, is not surprising to me. I don't agree with it, but it's not surprising. But the big reversals, you know, as we've discussed, is, is Germany. I mean, they've reversed on Nord Stream. They've reversed on lethal aid. They're even finally uh, committing to the 2% of, of their GDP for their defense budget. I think Putin has scared the pants off the Europeans. If there's any silver lining, this is a wake-up call. Yep. Uh, and they're now actually going to start providing for their own defense rather than taking America for granted. So I'm getting a report now. So we saw Zelensky. First, I want you to hear this. this today kind of caught us by surprise. But Zelensky, from wherever he was located, we believe in the capital city, addressed the European Parliament, European Union Parliament, essentially said, you got my application yesterday. I want to tell you why we belong with you. And that is our goal and aspiration, not just about joining NATO. And in, dis- in hearing this, the translator gets, starts breaking up. So if you don't mind, yeah. listen to a little German. Listen. This morning, two cruise missiles hit this Freedom Square, dozens of killed once. This is the price of freedom. We are fighting just for our land and for our freedom. I've never heard that before. Uh, I've never heard a translator get choked up before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the emotion that that Zelensky has been able to rally the world around. Uh, and, And I think it's speaking to everyone's Uh, and tugging on everyone's heartstrings. And look, I think Zelensky, you're going to see tonight at the State of the Union, uh, President Biden taking a lot of credit for a lot of things. Uh, One thing I do give them credit for is declassifying a lot of the intelligence to steal the narrative from Putin. Uh, But it's Zelensky that is rallying Europe. It's Zelensky that's rallying NATO and his people. Uh, And and I think this this man is going to turn out, if he lives, uh, to be a 21st century Churchill. We need to stop offering him rides out of there and start sending him secure communications, protective equipment to help him survive. He has to survive to continue to lead the Ukrainian people. I mean, look, uh, I mean, every, the American people had uh, rallies in 40 cities over the weekend. 
Uh, we know what uh, 500,000 came out in Berlin. You said there was a rally in Paris yesterday. We see in St. Petersburg there's been 6,000 arrests, 411 today, we understand. Uh, and we know Zelensky, there's evidently hit squads going out for the Klitschko brothers as well as Zelensky. Yep. And now Gillian Turner has found this out because Zelensky was saying to people he doesn't know if he's going to last the day. He says his remarks this morning were learning more of the reason why he was so grave this morning about the specific threats he's facing in Ukraine. Quote, the intelligence community is concerned about the traceability while using the Web and social media to communicate with the Ukrainian people. FNC is told that the easiest way for Putin and the KGB to track and target Zelensky is through the mobile phone and Internet use. Even if a phone is encrypted, the KGB still can track both cell phones and landlines, they are told. So while he wants to communicate... And that's why the Klitschko, I almost had the Klitschkos this weekend, and they said at the last minute, we think we're going to have our, our, our location revealed if we do this, so we're not going to do it. And I understood yep. it. But that's, there, there, is a, Brian, there is an encryption way to unencrypt phones and locations, right? Yeah, that's right. And and the KGB and their cyber services are some of the best in the world at it. And and this is what I want people to understand. Every single time they see Zelensky on that screen, he is putting his life on the line. But to geolocate him for how he's accessing the Internet is one of the easiest things for the Russians to do. And and I fear, Brian, every time he comes on, we're, we're about to see that screen go black. Uh, because of a Russian cruise missile coming through the window. Uh, so that, that, you know, that's the courage uh, that, that he is demonstrating. And I mean, this guy was a comedian two years ago. It's like having a Jimmy Kimball or somebody you know, suddenly become president. And I think one of the biggest underestimations of Putin was underestimating the will to fight of Zelensky, uh, his government, Ukrainian people. And then I think the other story that's going to come out of this is an overestimation of the Russian military. Uh, it is largely conscript based. It's a draft army. They're treated terribly. They're not supplied well. Their equipment gotcha. is old. And they were sitting out there in the middle of a Russian winter for months before they got the green light. And I think you're seeing all that come to fruition for how slowly they're advancing. Thanks for, thanks for staying ahead of the curve, Congressman, and helping our audience. Congressman Michael Waltz, thank you. Okay, thanks, Brian. All right, uh, keep advocating uh, for supporting Ukraine. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, uh, I'll take your calls. Then Kevin Brady, then a simulcast on Varney and Company. Big day, don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, guys. I don't have much time, and I want to go right away to Doug on KLIN in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, Doug. Hey, Brian. Great show. Um, Thank you. My question to you is, and something I've noticed, when they went, when Russia went in, they went on three sides. That, to me, looks like the same darn thing that Hitler did way back in the day. To and them. He couldn't supply any but supplies to any of his guys because he can't even supply food and stuff for his own people. Doug, a little Why bit different. Now, think about this. Back. Germany marches into Russia just like Napoleon did, then Soviet Union. 
and they don't have supply lines. They all get cut. They get all caught up in making progress. And that's where we got the uh, scorched earth policy because Russia said, we're not going to fight. We're going to keep retreating and trap them in our winter without supply lines. And sure enough, it happened. But Russia was flat on its back. They, they paid that price by losing tens of millions of lives. Now, in 2022, with all the advancements, they still can't supply their own people. What idiots. But they are they are bloodthirsty people. And they don't care about killing kids and women and uh, blowing up hospitals. And we're hearing those reports right now in the two biggest cities in the country. They're trying to bring the country to its knees and try to take 40 million people hostage. Forget it. Uh, Not going to happen. But I I don't know what we're capable of doing, but we've got to be able to do more. We'll discuss that next. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He expected this to go much more quickly, and so he's frustrated. Now, he has barely deployed, um, you know, uh, more than a third of his forces and, and, uh, and, and his most potent uh, weaponry has not yet been deployed. So that's the point, is if he is that desperate that things aren't going well and he's frustrated that he is currently losing on the battlefield, the way to change that is to act drastically and we should all be concerned about that. And right now, that's where uh, Kharkiv is right now under siege. They've just given a warning to the city. If you're a citizen, get out. Like, they really have a place to go. You've encircled the whole place. And they're going to start going after, they say, their intelligence and military installations. But they've already been indiscriminately bombing apartment buildings. I do. And that, of course, was uh, John Radcliffe. You probably recognized his voice. I think two-thirds of Russian forces are now in Ukraine. Maybe their entire forces. Uh, just a quick note, at the U.N., some drama, Secretary, their foreign minister, Lavrov, he's been doing that job for literally 40 years. They had, when he came up to speak uh, in front of the U.N. Human Rights Council, 140 diplomats uh, refused to listen. They got up and walked out. Uh, but the military aggression has taken place, and they're allowed to sit there and abstain. Congressman Kevin Brady joins us now. Uh, he is uh, serving his last year as ranking member at the House Ways and Means Committee over in Texas. Congressman, welcome back. You've seen a lot of dramatic events since you've been sitting in Congress. What do you think about this? So I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a um, a weak response uh, to an invasion like this. And uh, in one, frankly, the president invited, as we know, just because of his disastrous surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan. It, uh, we were in the briefing yesterday, uh, Brian, and what became clear to me is that it is it has only been the bravery of the American people that have got Joe Biden in the West off their duffs uh, and, and somewhat more engaged in this. Economic sanctions won't stop bullets. Clearly, uh, Ukraine needs the weaponry. They need the um, uh, artillery. Uh, I think Joe Biden's decision earlier this year uh, not to get them uh, a surface-to-air missiles is coming back to haunt Ukraine. And we just heard Brian from Victoria Sparks, whose family is in Ukraine, who knows this well, just spoke to Republicans uh, here in our conference talking about the atrocities that the Russian troops are are, um, are imposing on Ukrainians there. And it is just... Um, it just angers you. Uh, well, I just what are we going to do? So uh, Zavelny just 
Uh, Zelensky just addressed the European Union about four hours ago, asking for membership. He filled out the application symbolically yesterday, and he talked about the strength it will bring to the European Union, and he is winning people over. It is not the West. He won over Germany. He's got them to commit to spending 2%. We know that they're allowing lethal weapons to pass through. And what miraculously, as Michael Waltz just told us, all of a sudden Secretary of Defense Austin said, well, when they were asked to send Stinger missiles over, they say, yeah, we're really not allowed to send our Stinger missiles over. But people that bought the Stinger missiles from us can send it. So the, the, you guys what, you know, rolled your eyes and said, like, what kind of weird thing is that? Now suddenly we can send Stinger missiles over. So and, yeah. and so, come on, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah so one man and one people – in that country are are forcing you know the greatest economies on earth to finally uh, defend freedom there and stand up to Putin. It's 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 sad you know that it took one person in one country uh, to do that. It's really shameful to be honest. Uh, uh, they're finally engaged, but but again, look, sanctions uh, sanctions will help I think over time, and they're getting more serious. But but they need real 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 weapons. Excuse me, Brian. Right now, um, uh, not later. Right. Uh, Kharkiv, as I mentioned, and Kev, are, Kiev are both surrounded. So are we going to get up one day, Congressman, and find out that these, all these officials, the cabinet, they're all dead? And we're going to go, well, what do you want? I don't want to start a world war. Is that, is that really? Is it all or nothing? Is it start a world war or watch an ally vaporize? Yeah, so I, I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But, but certainly the Ukrainian people are not are not going to stand by. Uh, they're not going to let um, themselves be occupied. I think uh, Putin has got himself in a a long-term war there that will ultimately drain him. But he's very aggressive, and that's one of the things I, I appreciated uh, about President Zelensky rather than just stand still asking the EU, asking NATO uh, to join them. He is He is aggressively seeking these protections. And I think, again, um, he's moving the West in ways that, that regrettably, at least our current leadership just simply wouldn't wouldn't do on their own, which is a real indictment of them. Uh, yeah. Well, a couple of things. No one knows uh, the economy. Very few people know the economy better than you. And we understand that um, we understand that we are the number one customer. And Mark Thiessen sent me this stat from Forbes. We're, the, we're Russia's number one purchaser of oil. Number one. Just in 2021, that's the first time we had that dubious mantle. Uh, if we decide tomorrow to stop doing that, what happens to the market and what has to go along with that declaration? Because Canada did decide to do it. Yeah, so we ought to be relying on partners like Canada rather than Russia. Uh, Russia may not be a large part uh, of our imports, but they uh, we've been more dependent in the past year than we have for a decade or more. It makes absolutely no sense. To be to be funding Russia with our purchases, we ought to be we ought to be turning away, finding another alternative right now, either here in America or with our next door neighbors uh, in Canada and Mexico. But, but if right I give, there. but Congressman, if I told you that, uh, if I told you that today, what? How, how does that actually get executed? Do you have any idea? I know you're from yeah. an oil state. Yeah. So so frankly, I don't know except that. Everything we've been told we can't do, whether it's booting Russia off of SWIFT, uh, sending them military weapons, everything we've been told we can't do, we are now starting to do. So it seems to me if America made a decision right. – and, and we're seeing companies, Brian, for the first time – BP you know, and Shell? Them. Yeah, it's, it's incredible and really encouraging to see the private sector step up in a, in a big way here. So I, it just seems to me there's got to be a way. 
to do this and coming from Texas, certainly um, while we have relationships uh, with imported oil and refining and all that, tell you what, we're more than resilient enough, more than capable of producing here in the U.S. So I guess the Keystone Pipeline, the number is 850 million barrels we'd get from Canada right yeah. through Texas. 850 yeah. million. Get this. John, uh, Marco Rubio just said this and tweeted this. Under Joe Biden, the U.S. producing 1.2 million fewer barrels of oil a day. That's $100 million, $100 million every day that we put in the pocket of Russia slash Vladimir Putin. Come on. Yeah, and just to drive home the tone deafness here of the Biden administration. So we just learned yesterday they're not going to appeal the court ruling that revokes, uh, annuls the Gulf of Mexico drilling leases. So in the midst of all this— with Russia continuing to to export the U.S., basically Joe Biden's annulling uh, one in 1.7 million acres of drilling leases in the U.S., so choosing the Green New Deal over American energy independence. Now, those leases wouldn't produce right now, but look at the, look at the signal he just sent uh, around the world about the weakness of the U.S. and unwillingness to become more of a reliable trading partner, energy uh, producer and provider to the rest of the world. It just It's just beyond anything we've ever seen. Congressman, I was talking to Elliot Abrams over the weekend, and he said, you don't understand, uh, this thing, the world has changed, and we're in a Cold War. Yeah. He said he came up, he served with Reagan, Bush, and uh, Trump. And he said, we're in a Cold War right now. And to, to match our enemy, we have to understand we have two enemies, Russia and China, and China is much more formidable and right now, we went from during the Cold War, we were at 6 or 7% of GDP on defense. Right now, we're at 3 And people are pushing in on that and don't even want to do cost of living increases or, or annual increases. Do you think a case should be made to double our GDP in defense? I know a lot of people are rolling their eyes right now and saying we spent enough on that. We had a huge deficit. But you used to do the math and the budget for the country. Yeah, so – there's no question we're going to have to strengthen our military. I mean, anyone who thinks uh, we we can keep America safe in our interest, safe around the world uh, on a st- status quo budget, it won't happen. Now, the good news is, and I was really pr- – after tax reform, the thing I'm proudest of, I think, is uh, that I helped the president, and many of us did, um, rebuild America's military for the first time in 15 years. But we can't stop there. We have to build off of in, – in my point tonight on the State of the Union here is you know, a strong military depends upon a strong economy. And right now, as the president speaks tonight, half of Americans believe the economy is either in a recession or depression. Uh, two-thirds of them say the prices are going to outpace their paychecks for years to come. They've lost confidence in this president. So what he really needs to do tonight is reverse course, basically end all the emergency COVID programs that discourage Americans from coming back to work, drop the tax increases. That will only drive inflation up and hurt workers. And by the way, Brazil is lowering their business taxes to fight inflation in their country. And then and then uh, he ought to be uh, – Putting workers over the Green New Deal instead of spending half a trillion dollars uh, on uh, Green New Deal subsidies. Look, let's find a way to reconnect workers. Let's find a way to fund this military. Congressman, you're definitely going to be missed. Uh, extremely competent. You actually went to do work when you when you won your seat. Um, yes, it's too sir. bad you're going to be retiring. Yes, uh, sir. Well, I'm still here at the end of the year. We're gonna we're gonna fight through the tape. Yep, run through the tape and see if you end up with a majority. Um, yes, sir. When it's done. Thanks so much, Kevin Brady. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Uh, Always. Meanwhile, straight ahead, we'll do a simulcast of Varney and Company and end with your calls. 
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Don't just hang in there on your investments. Call Talon Wealth and get peace of mind with active management of your portfolio. Dial pound 250 and save financial plan. Investment advisory services offered through Talon Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Wow, uh, Frank Bruno, very good read there. Uh, Talent Wealth is sponsoring my simulcast with Stuart Varney. So uh, that's how popular this is being. So that's going to be great. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. Always enjoy joining when we go to one of the fastest growing stations in all of cable, and that's FBN. So let's listen in as Stuart introduces me. That means it's Kill Me time, and he joins us right now. All right, Brian, this new New York statewide school mask mandate ends tomorrow. <laughs> Why not today, Brian? Oh, you don't know. Uh, let me see. The science says tomorrow. So, as <laughs> right. you can see, the science, I'm sorry, the science says tomorrow. A guy in a lab coat walked in and said, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday will be the day. Uh, that'll be the time. It is just total hygiene. I, I love the hygiene theater that Rand Paul coined this. This whole thing is hygiene theater. I, I was actually on, I'm not going to give away the airline, but I was actually on a plane two months ago. They woke me up and my daughter up because my mask was slightly, slightly below my nose. That's it. And they threatened to throw us off the plane unless it went over my nose. And they don't have to wake us up again. Number two, then yesterday I was on a plane on Sunday or excuse me, it was on Friday. Wow, where did the days go? And I, I had something to eat, never put it back on. No one said anything. We're done. We are totally We're done. done. And in done. New York, they yeah. abused it. And that's going to be the story. These, these moms that brought their kids in school who are being tortured don't even know it because they're first and second grade and don't even know uh, what they've been through and how their, how their growth has been, uh, I guess, delayed. And now we understand, too, I was talking to some teachers in elementary school. They have a, a label now. They're saying, oh, that's a COVID kid. We, you know, he's a second grader. She's a first grader. They have no idea how to spell. They don't know here delayed, especially if they're in a situation where they had two parents working with maybe some babysitter. Nobody put on the Zoom. So every kid, almost every kid except for odd situations, is behind across America for years for no reason. I think it's the teachers' union that really did serious damage to America's public schools. And I, that, I, I've got to leave it there because I've got something much more interesting for you, Brian. You've got this Fox Nation yeah. special, and it's on Putin. Um, now, you, you, you calling him out, basically, who is Vladimir Putin? Okay, I want, to, I want your judgment on this. Is he stable or is he unstable? The one What's thing, it? well, I, ahead, I, now I'm not sure, but I will say the one thing about him through his career has been remarkably consistent. Uh, you know, he was an only child, brought up in a situation where he did well in school. He aspired to be in the KGB, but you have to be asked to be in it. So he went to school. He finally got tapped to do it, and it affected the rest of his life. He was in East Germany, supposed to be a very moderate position with not much drama. The wall drops in 89. He witnesses it. And from that moment on, his mission was to reconstitute the Soviet Union. He was so upset when his calls back to Moscow to say, send in the tanks. We're losing East Germany. And nobody picked up the phone. He's picking up the phone right now. And I do believe that when Condoleezza Rice says something, the same thing as John Radcliffe says something, the same thing as Michael McFaul, who's the former ambassador to Russia, who speaks Russian and met with him multiple times, they say that this is not the same guy. And one thing that's happened, though, what happens is he thought it was easy. 
He thought it was easy in Georgia because he had no repercussions. He thought it was easy because he took Crimea and the Donbass region, and there's almost no repercussions. He went into Syria unannounced. He killed 5,000 people, a third of which were innocent children, knocking down buildings, and nobody seemed to care. And then he threatens Ukraine. Nothing happened. And this is the first time he's understanding that he can't do everything he wants. But it's not because of us. It's because the Ukrainian people want freedom, something that we used to get up every day being thankful for, but we have gotten used to. I think this is a wake-up call to America to understand what, we've, what we were born with. People are dying to get, and Ukraine okay. is an example of that. What, just guess for me, speculate. What do you think President Biden will say about Putin in the State of the Union speech tonight? He is going to say he rallied the world against Vladimir Putin. Yes, he is. Yep. He is going to say that. And the bottom line is, it's Zelensky that did it. We led from behind again. It's exactly the person he trained under, President Obama, wanted to lead from behind. He allowed them to take the land that they did. He was afraid to give the Ukrainians weapons to defend themselves. He gave them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and blankets. Instead, they gave up a, a, a large portion of their region, and now they're fighting for their country. And sadly, we have to be prepared to get up one day and find out that that government's been wiped out and the yeah. capital's been captured. That's yeah. not okay with me. You've got it right. Brian, I want to see that show of yours, the new one, on Saturday You'll night, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called One Nation on Fox News. I will be watching along with the rest of America. Great stuff, Brian. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Still it. Still ahead. All right, one 866 Let's go out to George. Listen on WPTF in North Carolina. Hey, George. Good morning. What's going on? What's on your mind? Uh, I'm a little upset that so many people that have never served in our military or have any skin in the game outside of, uh, of a platform to uh, chitter at are so quick to want to send my son and so many other people's son to the border of Russia to fight with the second, maybe the first most powerful nuclear armed country in the world. Would you rather, when they signed up, when they signed up to for a volunteer force, did they not think they were going to go stand in a NATO nation? Did they think that whatever they do, they didn't want to go to Poland? Whatever they Ukraine's do, they didn't want to go to NATO, Germany? Ukraine's not a NATO nation. Right. But so they're not in the Ukraine, are they? No, but people so they're, they're in the, they're, if you sign up to the military and don't want to go to Poland and Germany, you signed up for the wrong military because we got big bases there and the ones getting built up in Germany uh, being built up. It's now reconstituted in Germany because the president was emptying it out, Donald Trump. And now in Poland, they are begging for an American base. And that is as loyal ally as you get. And by the way, just for the record, Ukraine fought brilliantly, according to almost all reports in Afghanistan and in Iraq with us, even not being a NATO nation. So if you sign up for the military and don't want to go and be help out NATO or one of our allies, I don't know why you signed up. And no one's saying we should go take on Russia. But I also don't think we should watch a fledgling democracy get steamrolled because some lunatic wants to dominate the world again. We've witnessed this before. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. You know, I'm in New York, but heard around the country, and now I think where people 
by listening around the world, especially when they travel. Doug's showing with me shortly. He knows Vladimir Putin. He also knows uh, all those brutal dictators, done some great work on them. Uh, and from a, Republic, from a Democratic perspective, Doug knows about communications as well as anyone in the country. And he worked for Bill Clinton for years. He's going to talk about the State of the Union address and how the president addresses a country that is not happy with the economy coming out of a pandemic and uh, looking askant, uh, looking very worriedly at Eastern Europe. Doug's shown in a matter of moments. And then in studio, Ambassador Nikki Haley, looking to be a presidential candidate if she chooses, making an impact in the midterms. She's going to be with us and talk about the Vladimir Putin that she knows. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's no question uh, that in the State of the Union, uh, the American people and anybody watching around the world will hear the president talk about the efforts he has led over the past several months to build a global coalition to fight against the autocracy and the efforts of President Putin to invade a foreign country. That is Jen Psaki. All eyes on tonight's State of the Union. How will the president address the war, inflation, the pandemic, miraculously decide to take off the mask and get rid of the vaccine cards? That just shows it was all hygiene theater. The world will be watching. Number two. A molecule of oil uh, coming from America is going to be a cleaner molecule of oil than if it's coming from Russia. And at the same time, we're going to supply ourselves and our friends with American oil if we're, elected, if we're allowed to do that. That just makes for better national security. And again, um, a lower price at the pump. All about energy. If we do drill more oil and ship more natural gas, Europe can get off the the Russian crack pipe for good and finally sanction Russia where it really hurts. And that is with energy. But will Joe do it? Number one. Why do you need all of this? You Russian moms, you Russian teachers, Russian entrepreneurs, just regular people. Why do you need this? Don't believe your commanders, your propaganda people. Just save your lives and leave. The war. The two biggest cities in Ukraine struggle to hold off a Russian assault amped to a level we have not seen before as we rally to resupply that country with weapons and with food. Uh, we'll talk about that with Doug Schoen, who wrote a book, one of his books, Putin's Master Plan to Destroy Europe, Divide NATO, and Restore Russian Power and Global Influence. Uh, Doug, he's not doing any of that, although he's trying. Well, he is, but I think, Brian... And I want to give you credit, too, because you were one of those who was most prescient and aware of what I was saying. You Thank agreed. You. you gave me a great deal of attention and, I dare say, politeness and deference. Seven, eight years ago, when I first propounded this hypothesis, he sure is trying. And, Brian, my word for your listeners today is the good news notwithstanding, and I'm very pleased about it, as is every right-thinking person. Putin's not giving up. Not by a long shot. He'll bring in the Belarusian army. He'll do anything he can to succeed in taking at least half of Ukraine, the Russian-speaking half. Yeah, I mean, but basically what he's done is something he didn't think was possible. I mean, he he basically has 40 million people who disdain what he's doing. Nobody supports the war. And plus, he mischaracterized it, Doug. They know there's no Nazis and there's no fascists in Ukraine Drug addicts, the drug addicts and fascists and Nazis are running the country when Zelensky is Jewish Prime minister and the president are Jewish, for goodness sake. I mean, look, it's all lies, but we have to stop them. And I can tell you what I heard from my European friends, Brian, is that they believe that we, the Americans, are leading from behind or maybe not even leading at all, that the Europeans are ahead of us in terms of sanctions, no-fly zones, and the like. And I got a 
hope and pray that in the State of the Union, the president is as forthright as he needs to be to continue to stop Russian aggression. And by the way, and here's the State of the Union. You know the midterms are up, and you're a Democrat, uh, and you work for the Clintons. So you're saying that because you care more about the outcome than you do your party. So I appreciate that, Doug. On top of that, I'm getting that, too, by listening to some Democrats talk. I looked at what Senator Murphy said out of he came out of his briefing, and I'm also looking at what Senator Blumenthal said, because we have to get into their energy sector. We have to stop buying their yeah. oil. Listen to this. This is as close as he said to pulling a Joe Manchin, cut 18. I think that we can provide even stronger sanctions, like secondary sanctions on banks and financial institutions and... We need to consider stopping the flow of energy from Russia to the United States and enlist our allies in the same cause. Canada's there. Canada's d- did it. Yeah. Again, you talk about leading from behind. That's an example. Zelensky asked for this. You've got to stop with the SWIFT system. The Europeans stopped, and they're yes. getting closer and closer. And then we reacted after that. Correct. And we have to block their energy uh, exports to us around the world. Even if in the short term energy prices spike, we have to deal with it. We need to totally decimate their economy and their way of life to make it clear this cannot stand and Vladimir Putin cannot stand. So Michael Bloomberg, you worked for him last, right? I did. So Mike Bloomberg's the ultimate environmentalist, anti-gun guy, other things he's conservative on. If Mike Bloomberg was president right now, would he give up his green agenda and, and say, we're going to start pumping more here? We're going to release the uh, leases that I put on hold? Look, I can't speak for Mike Bloomberg. Well, what do you think? I think that Mike Bloomberg has always told me he would do what's right for America based on not politics, but on what was right, not as a Democrat or Republican, but based on his own perception. I am confident that Mike Bloomberg, if he was president, and obviously he is head of the Defense Advisory Board, not president, but if he were, he would do the right thing in this crisis, as he has always done in his very long public and private career. I I mean, because to me, I don't really care as much about Bloomberg himself, but he represents the green side of the Democratic Party. And he's the one that Joe Biden— But but he he is— but these are the people like, – he agrees with AOC. I mean, I'm sure he signed on to the New Green Deal, right? Oh, oh, no, I don't believe he signed on to the New Green Deal, but I can tell you this. I've spoken to Mike Bloomberg. He is a patriot first. And if you, believe, and if you ask me in a general terms, I can't speak specifically yeah. about what he would do, but if you ask me in general terms as a patriot, Mike Bloomberg puts love of country and the interests of America ahead of any – political agenda, ideological agenda. He is an American, an American patriot, and in my mind, an American hero. I'm I'm just just stunned that Joe Biden, at 78 years old, clearly in the last lap of his political career, is that worried about not doing the right thing where Joe Manchin or – why doesn't he just do the things that Joe Manchin's been doing? Not give up his party, but do the things that are going to pass, do the things that are going to help the country. I couldn't agree more. This is a time for leadership, yes. for nonpartisanship, and putting the country first, as you always have, Brian. That has been your credo as long as I've known you, and you continue to be that man. Thank you. And that's why I was stunned by this. Senator John Kerry. 
massive emissions consequences to the war, but equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted, and and, uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. He's worried about the climate. This is the, I know he's, he's the green czar, but does he, his questions, he parries everything to climate. Is that, I'm just trying to figure out what President Biden is worried about. Is it that mindset? Do other people have that mindset? It's the left wing of the Democratic Party. They have taken control of the presidency. It's as if Sanders was elected, not Biden. And what John Kerry is saying to me is just plain wrong as when we're in a global crisis, a potential for a world war, and God knows the potential for a nuclear conflagration. Let us put the national interest first and stop with the agendas. Um, I, I want to tap into your expertise, though. The, Putin's master Wait. plan, he's a big mystery, but not to yeah. you necessarily. You kind of, Lisa Rice said Sunday, it's not the guy that she was dealing with. Marco Rubio says this is not the uh, Vladimir Putin from five years ago. What do you think? This is the same man. He is acting on an agenda that was clear eight years ago when I wrote that book. He now feels emboldened, Brian, because of what happened in Afghanistan and because of our weak leadership at the White House, uh, National Security Advisor, and the Secretary of State. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. But but to go ahead and put together a plan that military people have said is just ill-conceived, to sign off on it and to think that he was going to win over Ukraine by brute force or they were just going to quit or be happy to see him is such a miscalculation. I just didn't think a KGB guy that knows intelligence, uh, intelligence, not saying is intelligent, but he is intelligent, sadly. I'm not saying, is that the same guy that would do this type of move? I think he miscalculated based on a misapprehension about the Ukrainians, not a misapprehension about the United States and our weakness and fecklessness. So my sense is he is going to double down. You will see, Brian, he will bring in the Belarusian army. He'll bring in every last troop he has. Uh, Yes, he's miscalculated, but this war is not yet won, not by a long shot. Would he be, knowing the world is watching, would he be willing to raise a city like they did Berlin at the end of World War II, knowing that you know if we had a bomb, we were dropping it. We didn't care where it hit. That was evil, and it had to be stopped. I mean, is that is he really going to do that in the the two big cities? I think what we've seen in the last day or so, based on the reporting I'm seeing, is yes, he has moved increasingly closer to the center of Kharkiv and Kiev, and I worry that he is going to bomb indiscriminately and. Uh, put civilians and children uh, at risk. There's been 6,000 arrested, uh, 6,435 detained for protesting him. We know there's been a run on the Russian banks. We know the ruble's been destroyed. We know the interest rates have gone from 9 to 20 percent. What matters? Out of everything I just said, for a guy that like to prides himself on po- political survival, does any of this worry him? What will worry him is when it's not 6,000 people arrested, it's 60,000 and 600,000 to a million people in the streets 
when his rule is jeopardized, then and only then will he change behavior. When you uh, when you talk about the Russian press, what there is of it, we just watched, by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Doug Schoen, wrote a book on Vladimir Putin, he wrote a column on Russia, China, the Axis, the new, uh, the new Cold War challenge, perhaps, the end of democracy in Russia and China on the rise. So he's, he's written all about this. So, Doug, when you see well, how this is playing in Russia— You don't really go through the news, I understand. Anyone under 25 is really not even watching the news. They're getting it on social media. But what do they have access to? In Russia or here? Russia. They have access to social media. They have access to some uh, radio and television that streams into the country. But the entire network of Russian television, Russian radio is censored, Russian print is censored. So they make it as difficult as possible to get the news. But, Brian, when the body bags keep coming back, and so far it's over 5,000 Russian troops have been killed by Ukrainian estimates, as those numbers get higher and higher, you'll see the protests get louder and louder. I know it's gruesome, but evidently they brought in incinerators to the front lines so they wouldn't have the Afghanistan problem of body bags. So I don't know if they're there, but they, they were, they were uh, on the border before the invasion. Crazy, I know. Uh, Doug, thank, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Well, always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Go get them. Uh, so when we come back in studio, uh, Ambassador Nick and Governor Nikki Haley, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This morning, two cruise missiles hit this Freedom Square. Dozens of killed ones. This is the price of freedom. We are fighting just for our land and for our freedom. He was translating for President Zelensky, who was commenting on Kiev, how they're being besieged and almost encircled at this hour. Uh, and that is that the second major city is encircled and they're being pounded. With me in studio, if you're watching on Fox Nation, you know already, Ambassador Nikki Haley, also the former governor of South Carolina, who um, these, uh, it must be frustrating for you to know that you could have such an effect on policy. And I feel my opinion they were leading from behind. But your thoughts as a human being about a translator getting emotional, just translating from Ukrainian to English. It's the first of all, Zelensky and the Ukrainian people are inspiring, inspiring because they will fight this hard for freedom. They will fight this hard to protect their country. They don't care whether they have enough arms. They're going to do whatever it takes as long as it takes to push Russia back. We should all want that kind of passion. We should all fight that hard for freedom. So I saw the number in Syria when they got into Syria. They knocked on the door during uh, the Obama administration says, yeah, we're in. Uh, we're going in there to to preserve Assad. And they kept him in office, and they were able to keep those ports. And they killed, in the course of two years, over 5,600 people, a third of which were kids. We never even heard about this. But what does that uh, what does that say, Ambassador, about what they're capable of doing here? Listen, I stood at the United Nations, and I held up images of children that died from chemical weapons. And I looked at the Russians and asked them, how many more kids had to die for them to care because they were allowing it. They were helping Assad. Putin is an evil dictator who does not care about life. 
he is going to go in and he's frustrated that Ukraine has been this difficult, we shouldn't put anything past him. We need to be thinking three steps ahead on what we're going to do when he takes that next step. We need to be ready. America has been reactionary. The world has been reactionary. We need to get in front of this and really start sticking it to Putin where it hurts. Switzerland, Germany have have joined in the economic sanctions. Canada is no longer taking Russian oil. Germany says we're going to pay our 2% to NATO and starting to revisit nuclear energy. I mean, put in perspective everything I just said compared to what you wanted. Well, that's German guilt, right? That's German guilt that, look, they got Europe into this situation of and Germany into the situation of being that dependent. They get the fact that once this is over— all fingers are going to them. So they're doing exactly what they should do. Welcome to the club. They need to. Because they allow the pipelines to go through and to be a hub with I Nord mean, Stream 1 and 2. And the and the idea that, you know, one, I think you've got a regime change, right? Merkel left. It's a perfect example of why Germany needs term limits. Um, but the fact that Merkel's gone, you've got a new administration. They see the writing on the wall. They get the fact that they could be next and they know they've got to do something about it. You know, the rest of the Europeans, Europeans, when I was at the United Nations, they love to hug it out, right? They don't have a spine. They don't know how to fight. It is nice to see them stepping up. But the reason they're stepping up is they know they could be next. They get it. This is very real to them. But we're not, they're not responding to us for the first time in my lifetime. They're not responding to our requests. They're doing everything. We reacted. We were second to SWIFT, and we have still not responded to being the number one customer of Russian oil and gas. Ambassador Haley came in a couple minutes early for me. Her real segment's coming up next, although this was all good, too. Thanks, (laughs) Ambassador. makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show but we are fighting also to be equal members of europe the european union is going to be much stronger with us that's for sure we have proven our strengths we have proven that as at a minimum we are exactly the, the same as you are. So do prove that you are with us. Do prove that you will not let us go. Do prove that you indeed are Europeans. And then life will win over death and light will win over darkness. Glory be to Ukraine. And the, and the European Union Parliament uh, stood up and cheered. Standing ovation for Vladimir Zelensky. That was the translator. He hopped on this morning, kind of caught us by surprise during Fox and Friends, and just said, listen, you know that application I sent in for the European Union? More than symbolism. I'd like to address you guys. I want to be European. We want to be European. We want nothing to do with Russia. Let's set the record straight. Pure emotion. I've never seen anything quite like that so real. With me right now is Ambassador Nikki Haley. Ambassador, you know these people, right? Yeah. How rare is it? To have him streamed in somewhere in Kiev, maybe giving him his location to do it and his security, and just say, let me in. 
I mean, it's it's inspiring. It's the wake up call the world needs. And it's something that I hope the EU will respond to. I mean, it's a European decision. We don't have a vote in that. But I would certainly um, encourage the EU to let them in because, boy, do they have the spirit that we need to see. And I'll tell you, Brian, you know, when I got to the United Nations, protocol said that I needed to meet with the Russian ambassador. It needed to be one of my top five meetings. I purposely threw protocol out the door and met with the Ukrainian president, Ukrainian ambassador first before I met with the Russian ambassador. The first speech I gave in the United Nations was in defense of Ukraine in support of them and kicking Russia for what they had done with Crimea. So, you know, this is something that's been a long time coming. EU needs to realize, look, he's more European than he'll ever be Russian. Let them in. Let them in. It'll make their whole um, unit better. I know you don't know the protocol. I don't know anybody that has uh, knows the protocol to get into the European Union. It's a vote. They each vote. That's it. Does it have to be unanimous? I mean, what is it? 27 27 countries, 30 NATO. I know that. I know it's a vote. I don't know if it has to be unanimous. So he said that. And I think one thing I know it does work. Number one is they've responded. Number two is just to get get it on the record. Nobody thinks that nobody in Ukraine thinks they're part of Russia. Stop saying that. So Vladimir Putin spoke for 90 minutes two days ago. All how Lenin blew it. Stalin blew it by let Khrushchev blew it by letting Crimea go up. And people are just astounded. He was rambling. And I just asked you, I asked uh, Doug Schoen, who did a book on him and, and studied the people around him, do you think that he is not the same guy that he was? Or is this just him acting on his every whim? Look, I've always thought he was evil um, because I saw it. I saw the things that he did. I saw the people he just he eliminated. I saw the things he kind, he tried to do. People who have dealt with him have said that this is a different person. We should trust that. We should trust that he is crazy. We should trust that we don't know what he's going to do. It's very telling that you've even got Russians in the streets protesting, knowing the danger that they would have of being arrested. It's very telling that soldiers went in being told that this was a training mission and now are being told that they're at war and they are turning on him. This is going to be a moment where you're seeing the, you know, the very own Russian people say, hold up. This is not the leader that we asked for. And if it is true between four and five. 5,000 dead Russians? Really? Uh, the Ukraine? You have 150,000? You have all this money? You have all this experience? And you lost 5,000 people to people that don't have any tanks? Uh, it's incredible. But real quick, something happened at the United Nations today that is quite unique and dramatic. doesn't work for radio. But when Foreign Minister Lavrov addressed the Humanitarian Council, what happened? It was beautiful. It was a walkout. They all walked out, started with the Ukrainian ambassador, and they all followed him out. So he was making an address, and over 100 ambassadors got up and walked out. Yeah, and that's what needs to happen. Look, right now there's a lot the U.S. could do to really have the backs of Ukraine. We could go and sanction every one of their energy companies. Biden's yet to do that. We could push to completely remove them from the SWIFT um, banking system. They're not yet. Energy stocks are exempt. That's exactly right. Biden hasn't done that. We should be going to the U.N., rail saying they war criminals don't deserve to sit on the Security Council, certainly shouldn't have a veto. We should go and have them removed from the General Assembly in the U.N. But more than that, Brian, we should have them removed from the Human Rights Council. Biden chose to get back in after we pulled ourselves out. If he's going to sit shoulder to shoulder with Russia, either Russia goes or the U.S. goes. Biden has to make a choice. And we absolutely cannot sit in negotiations with Iran next to Russia, next to China with two of our enemies and make a deal. We cannot do that. Biden cannot allow that Iran deal to go forward.
I should be saying this more. What you just said, it sounds like you almost misspoke, but it's fact. Believe it or not, we are dealing, I, I'm not sure what city, what uh, country it is. We are now sitting down with the Iranians, cutting a worse deal than we did before, and asking the Russians to help us with it, sitting down on their side with China to convince Iran to sign on to a nuclear deal. We know, my editorial, they're not going to adhere to, and they weren't. It's a fireable well, how offense. How can we do that? It's a fireable offense. Biden cannot do this. It is unthinkable that we would do that. And what was more embarrassing is the thought, and I hate to think if I was at the United Nations right now, knowing that my president went and asked the head of China to help with Russia. You never go ask an enemy for help with another enemy. Is there any shock that China turned around and told Russia everything we said? It's humiliating. Wake up, America. This can't continue. And I'm just amazed on the Sunday. I watch all the Sunday shows because I don't have any friends. Uh, and I have a DVR. So I'm watching all the Sunday shows, and almost every host got to, uh, why did Donald Trump say nice things about Vladimir Putin? I go, wait a second. You had a sitting president of the United States tell top-secret intelligence to the president of China, who basically is a sworn enemy of ours, who told another sworn enemy exactly what we told him. And you think what Donald Trump said on a radio interview, which was totally defined differently in a major speech— Two days later, where he said what he did, how wrong it was, and how the bravery of uh, of uh, Zelensky was pretty clear. Everybody thinks that's a big story. One answer to that. This did not happen under Trump. Right. It didn't happen under Trump because we didn't see Afghanistan fall, where we got out in the middle of the night and left our allies that should stood shoulder to shoulder with us for decades in the dark, not knowing we even left. This didn't happen because— Trump didn't wave Nord Stream 2. He fought it. I fought it in the U.N. We fought Nord Stream 2, and we fought the Germans on that. This didn't happen under Trump because we never allowed these kinds of— we didn't fall all over ourselves to get back in the Iran deal. We got out of the Iran deal. And this didn't happen under Trump because Trump never talked about minor incursions, ever. He never talked about minor incursions. Every one of these was a green light to Putin. And every one of these, if we don't wake up, don't take your eyes off of China because China's paying attention to every country giving aid to Ukraine. China's paying attention to what the U.S. is doing. China is continuing to move towards Taiwan and watching everything we do. We can't take our eyes off and, of them. And keep in mind, it's not all doom and gloom. What we're seeing, and we even though we're leading from behind, what we're seeing is a unification here of people on the same page condemning Russia and actually taking action to support that, including Switzerland, who I understand didn't condemn Hitler so and didn't sanction Hitler. So they sanctioned the banks. And my goodness, it seems like every international business has a bank account in Switzerland like these oligarchs who certainly have to be feeling the pressure. And those are the ones that Putin allows to exist and they allow Putin to exist. So if you want to pressure him, you pressure the oligarchs. We've already had, I understand it. We've already had oligarchs come out and condemn Putin. Think about that. Two Russian oligarchs have already come out and condemned Putin and said what he's doing is wrong. Because in Switzerland, God bless them, they usually hug it out. And I love the fact that they stepped up and did this. This right. is a unifying moment for the world if we allow it to be a unifying moment of freedom and democracy against tyranny. A couple of things. I think we're realizing what we always take for granted, and that's freedom and democracy. These people are dying for it. And just because it's not the perfect democracy, we know there's corruption there. No one denies it. Uh, Zelensky doesn't uh, deny it. He's trying to straighten it out, being too kind to some of his, uh, to some of his allies. I get it. 
Let's work it out. That's not a big deal. That's our aspiration. We take that for granted here. We're, we're, we're talking about socialism, how bad we are, how we're uh, the 1619 Project. Wait a second. These people are aspiring for the type of government that we are ridiculing. Number two is this could be good because China's going to say, wait a second. I need Europe as a market. Even if I don't like them, I don't like their former government. I need to manufacture there. I need to be educated in America. I need my people to be educated in America for selfish reasons. I need those marketplaces for our places to grow because my people need jobs. Our economy needs to flourish. Now, they're seeing the way everyone's unified against their, their ally, and they think to themselves, now, possibly, if the outcome ends up positive, possibly seeing the, the downside of acting unilaterally like they did in Hong Kong, like they've done with the Uyghurs. They did this thing. They didn't pay any price. They didn't do anything with Hong Kong. They didn't pay any price. But possibly seeing an invasion of Taiwan, they would pay a price. Might that give them hesitancy? Well, I think that we have to push hard and push fast. And I think we should take China at their word. They say that Taiwan is part of them. I think they're going to move on that. What we need to do is make them realize they don't, they're not ready. They're not ready to do this. We need to really get strong. What I hope, Brian, is I hope our country stops this national self-loathing that we've had happen for years and comes together and sees the heart of the Ukrainian people and know yeah. That could be us. Absolutely. If we are not exempt from that. That could be us. If we go to war with China, if China does anything, that's not Russia. That's a stronger, bolder um, country that will come after us in every way, shape, or form. And they've already done that. And you're seeing what's happened with Russian companies um, and Russian dependence on oil. Look at the dependence we have on China. Look at how our companies are intertwined with China. Every, Willingly. every one of them needs to look at those transactions and said, OK, if China moved on Taiwan today, what would their end game be? What would the exit be? But you know, it's amazing. And, you know, these people I just know of them. Like uh, you look at Ray Dalio with Bridgewater. You look at Blackstone and Fink. You, all these people, they basically you flip a coin who they like better, the U.S. or China, because they're making a profit. And I ask you, I don't even know what it's like uh, to even want that much money. But if you have $200 billion, is it that bad living on $100 billion? And if you went up to the people that invested with you and say, we're going to have to take a hit and, and subtract from our portfolio stocks that are going to flourish in China because it's not in our national interest, there's a lot of people who, who actually bleed red, white, and blue. I mean, Brian, if you sleep with the devil, the devil owns you. And every one of these companies that's in bed with China— NBA, Nike. All of them— Every one of them that's in bed with China is going to feel the pain of this. They think they can wait until tomorrow. There won't be a tomorrow. If they don't start pulling away now, they will see massive um, consequences to their relationship with China. China is not a country that we want to be invested in. I will tell you that if we don't start pulling our national security um, levers on this, it's really important. Why? Great. Biden gives out a bunch of tests. When you turn it over, why is it made in China? N95 masks that they all want us to wear. They're made in China. Medications are made in China. When are we going to wake up and say, OK, we should look at everything through a national security lens. Anything that's national security threat to us, we cannot be dependent on an enemy to give it to Ambassador us. Ambassador Nikki Haley here. Ambassador, I know you have only another minute, but you know how government works. So you get elected, you're making $400,000. The guys you're dealing with makes $400,000 a day. And you say, hey, listen, or the woman, uh, JGM, start pulling your plants out. Hey, uh, hey, Blackstone, I need, I need you to pull that investment out. 
How does that work in a free market society? You point to what's happening in Ukraine and you point to the fact Daimler pulled all their business out of Russia. Volvo has pulled their business out of Russia. Netflix, all of these companies are now pulling their business out of Russia out of panic. Now what you do is you go to those companies and say, this is a patriotic moment. You either do this now and do it in a way you control it or it's going to happen to you. And you let them know the U.S. isn't going to bail anybody out. We're not bailing out any companies for this. You chose to do it. You're going to be in bed with it. But our American people cannot be sacrificed because of it. Right. It just seems as though when it comes to China, they have a whole difference. It's easy to get, easier to get out of Russia than it would be China. Uh, Ambassador, I, I know you want to get back in the game. You know, it's clearly you, you feel as though you could make an effect. Is it especially frustrating because you really feel you could make a difference? I would be railing at the United Nations right now. I mean, I can't tell you um, the havoc I would be causing there. And by the way, I did notice most of the time was without a script. Right? Always. Yeah. No, I mean, look, this is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know how to treat your enemies and how to treat your friends. Right. And you act accordingly. Absolutely. Um, Ambassador Nikki Haley, Governor Nikki Haley, great to see you. Thanks so much, And hopefully Frank. we get a good outcome on this because the Ukrainian people are paying the price. We should all pray. Uh, back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, my counterpart, uh, uh, Sergei Narinsky, was um, publicly humiliated by Vladimir Putin in the National Security Council. That's something that Putin hasn't done before. That's very erratic behavior. So I, I do think that um, everyone needs to be concerned whether it's uh, that he's physically ill or that he's mentally unstable. You get to the same place. He's the leader of a country that has one of the largest uh, nuclear stockpiles on the planet. Um, and uh, he is in uncharted waters right now in terms of losing in a military battle that he expected to, to win quickly. And now John Radcliffe, uh, he knows things we don't know, and he still holds those uh, secrets, but does say that this guy's profiling differently. And we're talking about Vladimir Putin. Just real quick, I have a Fox Nation special, which is going to be on Sunday on the channel, but right now it's on Fox Nation. Uh, it's called Who is Vladimir Putin? Just to give yourself a competency when you go and talk about it or think about what we're up against. Uh, and I'll be on The Five today, um, wearing the same exact outfit you watch me on Fox Nation on. I hope that's okay with you. Here are more people weighing in on the Vladimir Putin, his actions and what he's capable of and who he used to be. Cut eight. Over the last couple of years, Putin has been more and more isolated. He's not been in the Kremlin for the most part. I don't think he's, he's a rational actor because he's fearful. He doesn't look very powerful. And this is going to jeopardize his ability to stay in power. That word rational actor is a very elastic, right? He's out at his compound doesn't come into town very much, and under COVID, he's been more isolated. He's increasingly unhinged in the way that he talks about the regime. Well, I met with him many times, uh, and uh, this is a different Putin. He seems uh, erratic. There is uh, an ever-deepening uh, delusional rendering of history. He's descending into something that I personally haven't seen before. And uh, about the battle, and they're descending into something looking for, uh, looking for total annihilation of two major cities, and while trying to get all the port cities in a row, still trying to do this from two separate sides now, while a 40-mile caravan is heading towards Ky Kiev, 
uh, to take them on. Uh, we know that President Zelensky's had a busy day. He's addressed the European Union. I understand he just did an interview with one of the networks, and we're trying to see uh, where he stands because they know there's a hit squad being sent in, this Wagner group uh, that's being sent in from Africa to target him. It's about 400 guys deep, and they're targeting him, and they're targeting for the two former heavyweight champions of the world who happen to be brothers Vitaly and Vlad- uh, Vladimir. So uh, how are we going to react if they're taken out? Think about that, because you have to think about it, because nobody else is helping them. We've got to get him more than weapons. We've got to get him uh, supplies, because the Ukrainians will fight to the death. We just hope they don't all die fighting. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.